What's up, everyone? I'm Paul LaMonica, and on this week's episode of the Loader High Podcast, I'll be breaking down week six of college lacrosse. This weekend's games that I broke down first started off with UVA versus High Point, Penn State versus Ohio State, Rutgers versus Michigan, Q's versus Vermont, Maryland versus Hopkins, UNC versus Mercer, UVA versus Air Force, and Richmond versus Duke. I'll give you the scores, stats, who played well and who did it, and all that good stuff. And at the end, I'll give you my three takeaways from this weekend, as well as a new segment I'm doing, my top three players from this weekend. For the interview segment, I'm joined with the University of Notre Dame long stick midfielder Jose Boyer. Jose and I had a great conversation about him growing up in Yorktown, a place that has such a rich lacrosse community, and how the guys he grew up grew up with made him such a great player. We also talked about the tradition of Notre Dame defense and what it means to be able to play for one of the most respected defenses in college lacrosse. As always, you can skip through different parts of the episode. I have all the timestamps below. And while you're there, make sure to go follow the Loda Hyde podcast on all social media platforms to get updates in the lacrosse world and to see who future guests of the show will be. Hope you guys enjoy the episode and let's get right into it. To first start off my week six recap, we have to go back to last Wednesday when number nine UVA hosted number 19 High Point. And if I had one word to describe this game for both teams, it would be sloppy. UVA first started hot in the first quarter by, you know, I think they were leading by 6-0 by the end of the first quarter. But by halftime, High Point had crawled back in the second quarter and was all tied up 7-7. UVA was able to take the lead in the third quarter, but in the fourth, High Point was able to have a really good run. But High Point ended up shooting themselves in the foot so many times with stupid, unforced errors that they ended up not getting as many possessions that they should have. And same for uh, that, as many possessions as they should have. And the same goes for UVA. The UVA could have sealed this deal early in the fourth, quor- fourth quarter, but it was a stupid, unforced turnovers, throwing the ball away, not being mindful of the shot clock, stuff like that, that really made this game not, that made this game like a completely different game than what it should have been. UVA was barely able to get through the win in Clockner. Final score of that game would be 12 to 11. Stats for UVA Matt Moore had three goals and two assists. Connor Shell. Schellenberger had one goal and two assists. Peter Garneau had two goals and one assist. Petey LaSala had the X1 18, uh, 11 for 18 and also notched in a goal. And the stats for high point, Kevin Rogers had two goals and one assist. Asher Nolting had one goal, two assists, and I usually don't include the stat with the players, but he had 12 turnovers just by himself. That's that's something that, that needs to be cleaned up. And Dalton Silver had w- two goals and one assist for the Panthers. High Point will now play Duke, I believe, is this Wednesday, and that should finish up their ACC play, and then they go into their SoCon, uh, SoCon schedule. So let's see. Uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on to see if they can still make the tournament uh, by winning the SoCon. We go to Saturday in Happy Valley when number 15 Penn State hosts number 12 Ohio State. Penn State is looking for its first win of the year and Penn State proved that they could still hang in the Big Ten with their offense putting up double digits for the first time this year. Despite struggling at the faceoff X and with not great goalkeeping this game, Penn State was able to stand their ground at State College and get their first win of the season. Final score of that game would be Penn State 15, Ohio State 13. Let's take a look at the stats for Penn State. We had T.J. Malone having five goals and two assists. Dylan Folds having four goals. And Mac O'Keefe notching in three goals. Stats for Ohio State. Jack Myers had three goals. Griffin Hughes had two goals. Uh, Jackson Reed had two goals and assists. And Justin Inacio went 17 for 29 at the faceoff X. Another Big Ten matchup on Saturday, we had number 5 Rutgers hosting the University of Michigan, and Rutgers trying to keep the ball rolling these past couple of games. Michigan was able to keep with, keep with Rutgers a little bit in the first quarter, but after a scorching second quarter by the Scarlet Knights, they did not look back, blowing the Wolverines out of the water and starting the season 3-0. and 
Final score of that game would be Rutgers 22, Michigan 12. Stats for Rutgers, we had Connor Kears with four goals and one assist. Adam Charlambides had four goals and five assists. David Sprock had three goals and one assist. Kieran Mullins had two goals and five assists. And Colin Kearson Net had 19 saves. Stats for Michigan, we had Avery Myers with three goals and four assists. Jacob Jackson had three goals, and Bryce Clay also had three goals as well. Last Big Ten matchup of the day, we had the rivalry, number three Maryland hosting unranked Johns Hopkins. Even though Maryland has played a lot better than Johns Hopkins recently, everyone throws record books out of the way for this game because this is the greatest rivalry in college across, and we have seen a lot of crazy stuff over the years. In the first quarter, it looked like Hopkins had the best of the Terps, but that would end in the second half as the Terps would go on an 11-0 run against the Blue Jays, getting the job done in College Park and winning the Crab. Final score of that game, University of Maryland 18, Johns Hopkins 10. Stats for the Terps, we had Logan Wisnowskis with two goals and seven assists. Jared Bernhardt had five goals and one assist. Anthony DeMeo had four goals, and Danny Maltz had three goals and three assists. Stats for Johns Hopkins, Cole Williams had two goals and three assists, and Connor DeSimone had two goals and three assists as well. In upstate New York, we had number six Syracuse hosting Vermont up in the dome. Syracuse's offense was on point this entire game, but they just could not seem to get rid of Vermont, especially at the faceoff X, which Vermont was able to dominate. Hats off to Tommy Burke for that. Every time Cuse was able to go on a uh, go on a run, Vermont was always able to seem to answer with a nice nifty goal themselves. Themselves, but the Orange's offense was able to prevail and giving Cuse the win. I think if a couple more faceoffs or a couple more possessions went in UVM's way. This could have been a very different story. Final score of the game would be Syracuse 17, Vermont 13. Let's take a look at the stats for Cuse. Steven Rafis had two goals and six assists. Owen Hiltz had four goals and one assist. Jamie Tromboli had two goals. And Drake Porter had 20 saves in net. Stats for the UVM. Uh, Tommy Burke went 24 for 34 at the X. TJ Lewandowski had two goals. Uh, Thomas McConvey had four goals. And Liam Limoges had three goals as well. Down in Chapel Hill, we had number two, UNC hosting Mercer. UNC took care of business early with their lethal midfield working overtime and a relentless 10-man ride Mercer could not seem to beat. UNC glide pass, glides past Mercer in a final score of 16-8. to Stats for UNC, Chris Gray has six goals and four assists. Will Perry, Brian Cameron, and Nikki Solomon all notch in one goal. Alex Strippy had two goals, and one of them was a really nice behind-the-back. Go check that out on the uh, lacrosse network. And Tanner Cook had two goals and two assists. Stats for Mercer, Michael Quinn, Colin Stewart, uh, Taylor Dooley, and Ashton Wood all notched in one goal. Back in Charlottesville, Virginia, again, uh, UVA was playing its second game in three days, going against an unranked Air Force. This game was already decided by halftime, with UVA only allowing in two goals versus their 13 in the first half. UVA blows out Air Force 20-4. to Stats for UVA, Counter Schellenberger has one goal and five assists. Matt Moore had four assists. Peyton Cormier had two goals and two assists. Jeff Connor had two goals. Petey LaSala crushing it again with two goals and went 12-16 for 16 at the X. Charlie Bertrand had four goals and Peter Garneau had three goals. Stats for Air Force, Matthew O'Rourke, Ethan Grandolfo, Brandon Dodd, and Tommy Hellman all had one goal. Last game I cover this weekend is Duke versus Richmond. Richmond is hosting the number one team in the country, trying to get revenge on a tough OT loss they had to them last year. Duke's offense is looking better and better every week, and they were able to put on a display today and keep Richmond in check. Final score of that game would be 13-6. to Stats for Duke, Michael Sowers had three goals and two assists, and Akai Montgomery with one goal and two assists. Joe Robertson, Brendan O'Neill, and Owen Caputo all notched in two goals. And the stats for Richmond, Ryan Lanchbury had three goals and one assist, and Tyler Schultz had one goal and one assist. 
First time ever doing this segment, I have my top three players from this weekend. First guy I got to go with is Logan Wisnaskis from Maryland with two goals and seven assists. Uh, Seeing this stat line, you might think he's definitely like an ex-attackman who just passes the ball. He's actually an off-ball lefty shooter putting up stats like this, and he usually has four, five, maybe even six-goal games, and him to have seven assists, dishing dishing it out to all the weapons that Maryland has really shows how well he played, along with two really nice goals he had. Second guy uh, for my top three players this weekend is the guy that had the most points was Chris Gray. He completely destroyed the Mercer defense with his six goals and four assists and looks like to be the front runner for the T. Wharton and also leads NCAA with points. I'm pretty sure it's at 43, so he's right at the mark that he was last year. Maybe I think he's I think he's even has more points per game this year than he did last year in his uh, short 2020 season. And then the last guy I have is a goalie. I have Drake Porter from Syracuse. He stopped 20 shots. He, you know, he didn't really have a lot of help from his defense this game. He made a lot of stops that were on the doorstep, and I think if it wasn't for Porter's great play uh, in net, Syracuse would have had a much tougher game. So props to these guys. They all had great weekends. All right, now for my top three takeaways from this weekend. Uh, first one is going to be about Ohio State. They are taking a turn for the worst. They started off the season really hot, really good win against Johns Hopkins, and it was a Johns Hopkins team that was really uh, really still trying to find themselves. They picked up the pace a little bit. They had a nice win last week, Johns Hopkins, and they had this tough loss to Maryland. But Ohio State has two consecutive losses. I will give the one to Rutgers. Rutgers is top five team in the country, but this one against Penn State uh, really should win their way. Um, you know, They were win the faceoff X. The only problem was that they really didn't have great goalkeeping, and their offense wasn't really flowing as well as it really should have been and you know Penn State is not you know one of the best offenses in college across this year they don't have Grant Amen. they're really trying to they're trying to really figure Penn State's trying to figure out what they want to do and to get 15 goals put up against you is is not a great sight for your defense so Ohio State's gonna have to go back to the drawing board this week they got a pretty pretty tough schedule coming up especially with with, with these all Big Ten uh Big Ten schedules so they are gonna need to find you know what What's gonna what's gonna what's gonna help them succeed in these coming weeks? Second take from this weekend. Uh, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think Maryland has a more exciting offense than Duke. I say this because they have so many personal. Maryland has so many personalities on their offense. They have so many different ball handlers, but they mesh so well. I feel like Duke doesn't have that. I feel like Duke kind of has a similar situation. They have you know. Five different guys that can carry the ball. Maryland just ha- has the same exact thing with Bubba Fairman, Anthony DeMeo, Jared Bernhardt, Danny Molslogan, Wisnowskis, Griffin Brown, all those guys. And same, you go go right off the line with Duke, Joe Robertson, Brendan O'Neill, Michael Sowers, Nakai Montgomery. I-, I just think Maryland's offense just clicks a lot more. It's just a way more fast-paced offense. Duke, Duke, I always feel, has a much slower offense. They try to move the ball around, try and find the best dodge. Maryland, Maryland's going like all on all cylinders. Doesn't trying to find the open man. They love they love throwing the skip passes, finding the guys inside. And that's what I really like about Maryland is that, you know, even the guy that's not the biggest dodger, Danny Maltz, is their leading scorer just because of how well their offense moves around him with all their with all their pieces with Jared Bernhardt and the guys that can do- dodge from up top is re- really why I think Maryland is way more of an exciting team to watch this year. I think maybe Duke's going to ramp it up this season once they get into uh, once they get into more competitive play. But for now, Maryland seems like the better offense and the more exciting offense to watch. 
My third and final takeaway from this weekend is about UNC's midfield. It's actually something Quint Kesting brought up in the broadcasting booth about how UNC might actually have the better midfield than Syracuse. And Syracuse has been regarded since since uh, since early 2020, or early or early or early 2020 from last season about how they have the best midfield in the country. And I do believe that, and I was believing that this uh, th- these past couple of games. But after that tough loss to Army, you know, after a rocky game against. Uh, against Vermont, which wasn't really their fault, but they they aren't the team, they aren't the midfield unit that was producing back in back in 2020 with, I think, all three midfielders uh, with Brennan Curry, Tucker Dordovic, and Jamie Tromboli combining for like 12 goals out of, you know, the team's 16. These, these guys were on a crazy roll. And we're kind of seeing a little bit of a flip-flop with UNC's midfield with Will Perry, Tanner Cook, and Jacob Kelly, you know, completely lighting it up. They, they, uh, they're, they're Swiss Army knives. They, they work all over the field. Either, you know, they have amazing shots. Will Perry has a, one of the best shots in out of all the midfielders. Same with Tanner Cook. Or how great of Dodgers they are shooting on the run and stuff like that. Or even passing it down to Chris Gray and like finding him for a nice feed. Uh, they, they, they are being a, they are a UNC's midfield is, is more productive this year uh, than uh, Syracuse. Even though I will give this to uh, Syracuse, this is their only their second game. They've had a much tougher schedule than, um, than UNC has. UNC hasn't even touched a uh, touched an ACC opponent yet. So we're going to have to see for that as well. But right now UNC is much more productive at the midfield. And I wouldn't be surprised if, this uh, this trend continued into the later ACC games. Thank you so much for listening to my week six recap of college lacrosse, along with, along with my three play, three top three players from this weekend, as well as my three takes. Uh, if you don't agree with anything I said, or if I miss something, just send me something on Twitter, send me something on Instagram. I'll be more than happy to respond and you know talk about it with you as well. But now let's get into our interview with Notre Dame long stick defensive midfielder Jose Boyer. Another podcast episode and another Yorktown guy, Jose Boyer, Notre Dame at Longstick Midi. Jose, how we doing? Good, Paul. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How's the uh, how's the Notre Dame uh, winter treating you right now? Uh, we're getting crushed right now, to say the least. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we've cracked uh, 20 degrees in you know the three weeks, four weeks I've been here, but uh, and we're getting snow every day. But we're making it work, making the most of it. It's good to be back out here, though, for sure. You said you've been uh, shoveling your car out. Have you had to deal with any uh, your car breaking down recently from the uh, the frozen pipes, or you've been uh, good with that? Yeah, thankfully not. Um, but the winter's young here, so you know, probably have another two months before I'm you know out out you know out in front of this. But yeah, I mean, wipe my car off every morning. For the past couple of weeks has been pretty frustrating. I've, this morning, I even got to the point where I just put the wipers on and said, "Forget about it. It'll." It'll all melt eventually, hopefully. <laughs> you got to get up earlier too, just to make sure the car. Yeah. The car thaw, oh, that's, that's a tough look. That's a yeah. tough look. <laughs> and what do you think is the biggest difference from you know New York weather and Midwest weather that you've kind of noticed? I think here it's just so brutally cold. Like you, like in my three years here, it hasn't really snowed that much. But this, I mean, this winter we're getting crushed. But yeah, it's just so brutally cold. And I think also, I don't know. I haven't driven in the snow a lot at home anyway, but. I feel like the roads here, it's like they wait for everyone to drive over it for a couple hours and then they'll take care of it. So super frustrating, you know, when you're pulling out of you know, your parking spot or just driving on the street and it's, you know, you're driving in a ton of snow. Yeah, it gets annoying. <laughs> that's tough. And um, yeah, like you're saying, there's probably a bunch of ice on the road if that's happening. If you're just driving over mm-hmm. the snow, that's that yeah. that does not sound fun at all. Yeah. And what was kind of like your realization when 
you first got out to Notre Dame, that was like, oh crap, this is just completely different weather than what I'm usually dealing with. Yeah, I think that like, at least for me, uh, a lot of kids in my grade on our team are from like, you know, really warm areas like California and Florida and whatnot. So like, I was kind of used to the cold weather, obviously being from the tri-state, like, and kind of know what it's like. But I remember my freshman year, we literally got school canceled because it was, I think, minus 20 out. It was something ridiculous. And I was like, I remember I was thinking to myself, I was like, yeah, this is not something I've ever had to experience in New York. This is definitely a Midwest, uh, you know, a unique thing about the Midwest for sure. <laughs> I mean, imagine coming from Florida and then dealing with that. I couldn't imagine. They, let's just say those guys were not too thrilled when that weather, or this time of year, any year that I've been here. But certainly the time I remember that time, like freshman year, they were they were feeling themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's got to, that's got to be terrible. Cause then you have to, yeah. you have to buy a whole new apparel of clothing that yeah. you have to get, you're going from shorts, every shorts and a t-shirt every single day to wearing sweatpants. And they probably never even bought a pair of sweatpants <laughs> in their entire lives. And they're getting jackets. Like, why am I, why am I wearing a jacket? It can't be that bad. And then it's like, Oh, that's why it's terrible. But yeah. at least you have uh, the, the indoor facilities. Uh, like mm-hmm. I know what's you have your indoor stadium that you guys get to practice on I mean I think it's a lot better than I know some schools that you know just love to practice <laughs> practice in yeah. negative five degree weather so that's not the that's not the worst thing for you guys mm-hmm. yeah no we're super fortunate to have a office uh, like I mean I don't think I've ever practiced in like adverse conditions you know weather-wise which has been awesome and obviously you know right now having like I said I have, haven't broken 20 degrees in the past three weeks I couldn't imagine trying to be outside during that so yeah we're super lucky to have law office and pretty much be able to use it you know at hours of the day that aren't you know completely ridiculous that are you know good timing and stuff yeah for sure and what about um what about like the sun going down does it go down a lot earlier it's like so I guess because we're close to central time because we're pretty close to Chicago it actually stays uh light out a little bit longer so I remember um, I went to summer school after my freshman year to you know take some credits, and one of my friends came out to visit from Yorktown, and it was like 9:30, 10 o'clock, and it was like still light out, and this was like in July, and he was like couldn't believe what was going on. He's like, "What does this happen here all the time?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess so." So that's yeah. I mean, I remember when I was home for winter break, and it was dark by four o'clock I was like this is not that fun this is pretty tough (laughs) it's pretty miserable right now but today it was I told you earlier it was 45 degrees and we got a we had snowstorm your brother's probably telling you about this but we've had we've had snowstorm after snowstorm and then we're getting snow on Thursday too so it's been it's been really wonky these days it's I saw this I don't know if you saw this meme on on uh on Instagram or anything but they're saying like the United States right now like the coasts are like 45 degrees and the central's all like eight degrees so it's like a microwave hype it's like a microwave hot pocket right now because it's all cold <laughs> on the inside right now but it's just crazy like this is this is absurd that no one i would have never expected eight inches of eight inches of snow in texas it's it's crazy. absurd and yeah, it's no. it's all over the place mm-hmm. yeah no I, I think much of most of the country is having a real tough time right now unfortunately so hopefully you know hopefully spring's coming a little earlier than we think yeah, hopefully. I mean, I don't know if the, what's the uh, what's the groundhog's name? Puxatoni Phil. He's not saying yeah, the same. Yeah. he's not saying he's not saying the same thing. But getting besides that, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> lacrosse. So, Jose, I know you're from Yorktown, and when did you uh, when did you first start getting into lacrosse? Uh, I want to say I got into lacrosse around like second grade. So, like my mom's side of the family, all of her brothers played lacrosse. So, um, 
we definitely uh, took my, I think we definitely took it slow in terms of getting me into lacrosse, but I think like second or third grade, which I guess really isn't that late, but I guess later than probably my uncles would have liked. <laughs> and what position did you first start playing? Uh, I started playing MIDI actually. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not really sure when I made the switch. I think I remember like beginning lacrosse just always, they would always run like the fast break and I always liked being the point guy on the fast break and kind of it's really I think where it started but yeah it was a midi for you know until we could you know use poles and then I think I moved down to playing defense. Did you like playing defense more than scoring or was it just like kind of like forced upon you? Yeah I mean I don't think I had the uh, the offensive abilities and probably a lot of my friends would say I still don't but uh, no I think I like I something about you know just I guess preventing the person from scoring I thought was fun also I I wasn't really a huge fan of, you know, just getting hacked at a young age. Like that wasn't really my favorite thing. So I figured why not do the hacking at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, um, did you ever like, did you ever like push and transition when you were younger, like in youth, in like, uh, in youth, in youth games? Yeah. I, I remember like a couple times in tournaments and stuff, like when playing like YF lacrosse, we needed goalies. And I remember hopping in and I would always try to go coast to coast. I was a huge like push and transition guy, probably turned it over a million times, but you know, it was fun running up and down the field from there. Yeah. And if you didn't have to play any other positions besides LSM or close defense, do you think it would be goalie or would you want to play it like a offense? Uh, I think it would be cool to be like an ex-attacking because, you know, like I said, a lot of my friends and teammates would probably make fun of my offense ability. So I wouldn't be shooting that much, probably just be feeding. But yeah, I mean, if it wasn't ex-attacking, it'd probably be goalie because yeah, offense is certainly not my forte. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, would you? I mean, I guess you played goalie, but I, I always say this every time we talk. I talk about goalies on the podcast. They always have screws loose. I always say they got a bunch of screws loose. Yeah, losing it. they're nuts. They're absolutely yeah. psychos. They love, they love, um, they just love getting hit. They just love getting hit with the with like hundred mile an hour lacrosse balls, and they don't. They love it. Like they, they like when mm -hmm. they get hit in the calf or something. Like they start screaming like a hyena, and they're like, yeah. "Give me more!" Like I want to keep on. I want to yeah. keep on getting hit. It's like what's wrong what's like going on what's going on in your head it's just crazy mm -hmm. I me mean, I, I don't know if I could ever do it and what about um like growing up playing YAC what about did you play any for any uh, club teams or was it just uh, uh strictly YAC mm -hmm. for you yeah so I played uh I forget when I made the switch but I played like the no limit ballers for uh, a decent amount and then uh I actually ended up playing three years I think like seventh grade through ninth grade with uh Patriot which was uh based out of uh, like New Jersey, kind of uh, Del Bar, and I think it was where we had practice. And then uh, I kind of, then at, back in high school, went back to uh, like the Yorktown Ballers, which was just kind of our Yorktown summer team. And then played uh, some tournaments with prime time too, because my brother had been playing for a while. So yeah, I kind of bounced around the club circuit a little bit. <laughs> okay. And, you know, talking about your brother uh, growing up in a household with him, was it always very competitive, uh, like just, your daily life with him uh just being uh just both both of you being uh, crazy athletes were you guys always being very competitive with each other yeah I mean I think we were I mean we still are but we're just so competitive in kind of everything we do like the amount of can't count the amount of uh, xbox controllers we've broken because one of us was lost you know the doors that we've broken in our basement because we were playing uh you know those mini hoop basketball we had we kind of did like a full court thing and we would do like one-on-one -on -one and like full court and it was awesome. But I think a couple of times people went through the door, like, you know, all these different things. Like we were, a lot of times we were competing against each other. So obviously that was, you know, got fiery real quick. But you know, there was sometimes we were like, I remember, I forget what, 
how old I was. I was probably pretty young and he was young too, but like he would come home from school and we would just like run a bunch of like patterns, like pass patterns in our front yard. And it was a lot of fun. Like that was really cool. But yeah, I mean, having him around and being able to like have a brother to, you know, play sports with and, you know, do stuff like that has been, was, was really awesome. And I was definitely fortunate for that. So I had a feeling that you guys were going to be very competitive, but after hearing that, I can assure myself. So I actually yeah. brought a list of questions because I'm hoping to get your brother on the podcast as well. One day I got to reach out to him. Yeah. So I've come up with five questions and it's going to be whether like, I'm going to, I want to compare it when I get him on the podcast and see if, uh, if, see if the answers match up. So I have five questions here for you. It's going to be either be me or Keith. So the first okay. one is who's better at Madden. Uh, definitely. Am. Okay. Who's taller me he'll debate that one i know that for a fact he'll debate it but i'm taller uh who runs the faster 40 time me no question and he'll okay. and if he tries to debate you on that one he's got an issue <laughs> okay 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 and what about um who can squat the most uh i'm not honestly sure that's like because I so I broke my back my senior year of high school and I never really squatted or anything so and I haven't squatted since so I would say probably him I'll give him that one <laughs> we'll toss that question out but okay I got a, yeah. I got a really good one I got a really good one I want I don't want to make it even I want to make it okay. as even as possible I got one more one-on-one -on -one in basketball oh uh, that's tough I we actually played a little bit uh over quarantine which is actually a lot of fun um uh, I I think he'd take me. He definitely was played. He played like, like I guess like travel basketball longer than I did. I played like two years, and he probably played for you know all of his childhood. So he, he's definitely a I'd say a better basketball player than me. He definitely has a better shot than me. So yeah, okay. he'll get me a one on one. And my last one is for you. Oh, last one for you is um who? Okay, you guys got one on one. Uh, either you're the uh, cornerback or he's the wide receiver, and vice versa. Who's uh who's winning the cornerback battle and who's winning the wide receiver battle? Uh, me every single time. I yeah, there's no way he he knows that too. I think all the ones that I said me, I think he knows um, I would win too. Maybe the height one he would debate, but everything else I think he knows I have them. All right, and what if it's okay? I know you guys are good friends with the Maycars, and I know Brett has a yeah. brother his age, and you and Brett are about you get you and Brett are the same age. What if you guys are both on a team and you're going against the Maycar brothers? Who do you think's uh, got the upper hand on the either basketball or football aspect? Uh, well, I mean, I know Tyler, uh, Brett and Evan's older brother, who's a year older than me, he was one of the best basketball players I've ever seen. He actually, like, he was so good. So if we play basketball, Tyler would probably help them a lot. So he definitely, I mean, and like I said, me and Keith aren't great basketball guys, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, what, uh, between, you know, the five of us, I think in a lot of, uh, scenarios, we'd be super competitive. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Be a good game. It's never happened before, though. You guys haven't haven't done a two on two or three uh three on three with them. No, not really. It's usually been like you know me, Brett, and Ty, and then like Keith and Evan are like best friends. So they kind of like, and we were like four years apart, so we kind of you know it was like it would be like us three and then them two. We never really played with each other or against each other, but that would definitely uh I mean people would be leaving with some bruises and stuff for sure we'd get into it <laughs> i guess a lot of people would probably go and watch that game it'd be a pretty uh, yeah. be a pretty competitive game down at a yorktown yeah. basketball court so i think you could honestly set up a concession for that people want to go see the two best yeah. two best two best athletic families down in york uh, up in yorktown i'd go i'd go come up and watch that but talking about how like like even like i'm serious like i feel like someone like that with like 
how how close Yorktown is. How has Yorktown helped you like become like the athlete you are today, and how like the relationship that's you the relationships that you've had at Yorktown, you know, help ex, like mm-hmm. help excelled how like how well you play, performed in high school, and you know, how well you're performing in college. Yeah, no, I think that at Yorktown, we're super fortunate to kind of have a lot of resources, you know, for guys that have, you know, played professionally, you know, pretty much done everything you can in the lacrosse world. Like having that and, you know, being like getting text from those guys, you know, after big games, before big games, stuff like that. Like it's, it's huge. I mean, it has everything to do with kind of like the culture of the community. And, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, you know, it really just helps breed a lot of guys that really just want to work and do it for, you know, putting in everything they can for the people that came before them, which I think is a great kind of mentality to have. And I think that's why your town has like kind of continued to, you know, do great that where, you know, guys aren't really, you know, Oh, like we've had, you know, however many all Americans, you know, all world players or, you know, great college players, like guys want to, you know, follow in their footsteps. So, you know, they, I think that's really what separates your town, just kind of having that resource to see, you know, guys achieve, you know, the highest in this world. Mm-hmm. And seeing that with your own eyes, with you graduating from Yorktown, going to play Division I lacrosse, and seeing your brother follow in almost the exact same footsteps as you, does that kind of show the testament of how like powerful of like a bond of Yorktown, either York town of Yorktown, or how well Yorktown lacrosse just you know wants to make their players as good as possible, like wants to make their players as best as possible, and helps want and like want to keep the tradition of Yorktown lacrosse as like as alive as ever. Yeah. No. I mean as soon as you get into your, like, I remember coming in as a freshman, like we, you're told like, I mean, yeah, we might have won, you know, seven state championships, but you haven't won anything. You have to earn everything you get. And I think that's a really good mindset to have for a lot of guys, because I think if you're coming in thinking that you're going to win, you know, go four for four for section titles, go to four state championships. Like if you think that and you're not going to put in the work, you're obviously never going to get there. So I think, you know, having, you know, seeing guys, you know, overcome adversity and, you know, come through, you know, various different levels, you're able to kind of look up to them and take what they've learned and take what they've done and kind of, you know, build on it for yourself. Like, obviously, I think just at the end of the day, when it comes to your town, like, obviously, like you, you're kind of around lacrosse from, you know, the moment, like third grade, second grade, whatnot, but it's really kind of how much you want to put in is kind of what you get out of it. Yeah, for sure. And, Going like going back to that, like how well, like once let me try and rephrase, but um, you know, seeing the players that you graduated with in you know 2017, 2018, uh, you know, that whole like that whole high school experience and seeing what they're doing in the college level, and you guys all having the same Yorktown bond, does that just also like show how much how strong it is? And coming back, like when you guys are in winter break, coming back to Yorktown, going to play three by or going to uh, Charlie Murphy turf and play uh, lacrosse with each other. Is that just like, does that like make you happy just to see that you still have that bond with those uh, teammates still around? Uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's awesome. Like seeing guys at various different levels, um, like, doing great things i mean whether it's the division one two or three level guys are you know they put in a lot of work and to see them you know get the recognition they deserve is awesome um i know i graduated with a bunch of great guys that are you know doing great things right now and it's on it's, it's awesome because you know you know what they've been doing behind the scenes and you know to see them kind of get that recognition on like national level you know really see their name get out there it's a you know, certain level of pride when you see that which is awesome for sure and growing up, who were some of your favorite athletes that either through Yorktown or just in college across that you like to watch or you tried to emulate emulate your game after? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I was one of my best friends, uh, Kyle Casey, his brother was, uh, I think, a 2009 alum. So uh, me and him would always like try to be the water boys and stuff. And like, for me, it was like, I was like starstruck. That was like you know, John Rannigan in that crowd. So it was like really awesome to be around them. So obviously, you know, John Rannigan was, I think every Yorktown person <laughs> my generation would say they looked up to him. But I know I looked up to John Fantasy. He was another defenseman um, who went to who went to Towson was an Under Armour All-American, um, unbelievable football player, and just kind of, you know, an all-around athlete. And, you know, I really looked up to him, just kind of the way he carried himself and, you know, how competitive he was on the field. It was awesome. Um, yeah, so I think those two guys, and then also the uh, in terms of, like, college lacrosse, uh, being an LSM, like, I loved watching Joel White play. He just kind of got up and down the field, and it looked like it was, like, all so, like, effortless for him. So that was yeah, I mean, I was a big Q's fan too. Unfortunately, I guess I have to admit that. But yes, yeah, so that was probably part of it. <laughs> and what about maybe not even the sport of lacrosse? I know you played football. What about professional mm-hmm. athletes at the pro level? Yeah, um, so I'm a unfortunately a diehard Jets fan. Um, yeah, no, it's tough. I know it's been yeah, it's not been a lot of positives with that. But uh, so I, being a Jets fan, I'm a diehard Curtis Martin. I actually went to the Hall of Fame induction. Um, I think it was. 20 I'm like totally guessing here once it was like 2014 or 20 something yeah sounds about right yeah it sounds yeah we'll go we'll go with that but uh yeah so Curtis Martin was like my idol um Darrell Revis loved him um and then just I guess non-football wise or kind of you know just pro athletes but I just loved in general like Dwayne Wade I don't know what it was when I was really young I just I think it was my brother was a big LeBron guy and now I've kind of grown to be a big LeBron guy too myself but uh, my brother was a big LeBron guy and I was like I kept telling myself oh no like D-Wade's better so I always hopped on like the D-Wade bandwagon so yeah so those three Revis, uh, Curtis Martin and D-Wade were definitely the three guys that I loved watching growing up. Yeah I, I can't doubt I can't blame you I was a big LeBron guy too I think everyone my yeah. age or younger was probably the biggest LeBron fan that I had yeah. probably mm-hmm. have 15 LeBron jerseys in my in my <laughs> my closet right now but what about uh what about sports teams were you besides the jets uh you watch were you a knicks fan or a, a heat fan growing up so i like kind of just really followed wade and like i was a heat fan i remember when they won the finals in 06 like i was super young i think that was when i got my first Dwayne Wade jersey it was like a red d-way jersey and it, i think i got it I got it for my birthday, which I think was right around the finals. So it was like when they were playing the Mavs and it was, it was really cool. I remember just like watching every single, I mean, as late as I could. And like back then it was probably watching like a quarter or two because I had to go to bed. But uh, yeah, I was definitely a huge heat guy, um, big Yankee fan, but uh, never really got into like hockey or anything like that. But yeah, he and probably Yankees outside of unfortunately being a Jets fan. <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe, I mean, yeah, it sounds, that sounds about right for about, uh, it sounds about right for anyone from uh, New York and who, who was also on the the LeBron bandwagon and kind of moving Mm -hmm. on from that. uh, What was like during this, I know we were talking about like you playing summer ball, like what was your recruiting process like and why did you uh, end up choosing Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so my recruiting process, I think was probably a little different than most just because you know a lot of kids had already committed I think like freshman year when I was in high school and I mean I was super discouraged about it because I was you know obviously seeing all these guys go to you know unbelievable schools it's obviously frustrating be lying if I said it wasn't but uh you know I 
when I was going through the process, I was kind of more of talking to schools like the end of sophomore year, middle of sophomore year. And then I remember um, like pretty much a lot of the spots in classes um, had been full. And at that point it was kind of between like some Ivy League schools and then Notre Dame was like the only place that asked me to PG. And at the time I thought that was like, taking a postgraduate year was almost like an insult just because I felt like, you know, I wasn't doing PG year because I you know wasn't doing well in school or, you know, I couldn't play at the division one level. I just felt like it was, you know, I don't know. I just wasn't too thrilled about it. But then I, I remember you know, coming from like an Irish family um, on my mom's side, like they all wanted me to come out and visit. So I remember I came out and visit, like did my visit. I think it was like uh, middle of July or something. Um, and I remember the whole time I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to go here. And then just like, obviously like Notre Dame is the campus is unbelievable. My time that I was here, it was awesome. And I remember just being like, trying to convince myself that I didn't want to like come here because I was like so against PGing. And then I remember it was just like, it kind of came to me like, I don't know, like a kind of an epiphany where I was like, you know what, like if I have to PG, I have to PG, but I think Notre Dame's the best fit for me. And you know, I'm really, I looking back at it, it's probably the best decision I made in my life having you know, been mature enough to decide, okay, like I'll do a postgraduate year and still go to a school that, you know, I felt I was a great fit at and kind of, you know, yeah, I think that because I had a PG, it was a different recruiting process, but I'm really thankful that I did. And on your visit, were you going during the lacrosse season or were you going like during the off season lacrosse? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I didn't go on, I don't think I went on any visits during lacrosse season. Um, I think I went on one I think my first visit was the February of my sophomore year. And then I didn't go on another one until um, like July. And uh, yeah, I, I see Notre Dame in July is obviously, you know, sunny and you know, 80 or whatever. It's awesome. So I didn't really account for the weather during the, you know, the winter months, but I mean, I still don't regret my decision by any means, but yeah, it's definitely nice to come here in the middle of July on a visit. <laughs> so Obviously, I know you said you didn't really like feel like going, but what you ended up did go ended up mm-hmm. going. But what what stuck out to you the most about Notre Dame that kind of just gave you the sense of being uh, being your next home for four years? Yeah, uh, I think Notre Dame was actually a different visit for me because my whole family came. And I think that was the only visit that you know all five of us went out to the school for. So I think having them out there too probably helped me kind of you know get the family environment that you know Notre Dame has to offer um I know everything that they kind of presented me like presented you with is not really it was like obviously lacrosse wise Notre Dame's incredible but you know everything between like academics academic services you know job opportunities after you know stuff like that like for me like that was really important and for my family that was really important so I think you know, coming out here and them not really selling me as like lacrosse first is kind of, you know, the Notre Dame experience was, you know, really important. And that really stuck out to me as something, you know, why I wanted to come here. And you think of them selling you like the, the opportunities it shows you after lacrosse as a sophomore in high school, you're 16 years old. You, you still don't really know, know what you want to do with yourself. You think just knowing that that reassurance of you don't have to mm-hmm. fall on lacrosse later in life, that you have these amazing opportunities lying for mm-hmm. you at Notre Dame with the network and how amazing of a school, a school it is, is really the driving factor of like why you really want to choose Notre Dame. Yeah, no, I know my, my parents kind of always like, 
preach like academics first. Um, so, you know, for me, the whole time academics came first and they were really supportive in kind of everything, everywhere I looked, you know, they didn't push me one way or the other. And I think that was also really helpful for me. It was kind of, I was able to make the decision for myself and kind of see what I valued the most at the school. And, you know, I would be lying if I said that, you know, having Notre Dame football, you know, and, you know, wasn't a huge aspect of you know, why I came here too. I remember on my visit, actually like just talking to my mom randomly and I remember just looking at her and being like, this is like, it felt like it was like heaven for athletes. Like you're treated just like, you're not treated like you're so like you're, you know, top of the totem pole, but you're not treated terribly. Like you're just treated like, you know, you, you like, I guess it's a weird way to say it, but like you, you, you're treated well here. And I think that that was something that really stuck out to me too, where, you know, you're not just going to be a number or something like that. You're really valued as both a student and an athlete here. And yeah, that was important. A hundred percent. I, I totally, I totally understand that. And then when you got home, did you, uh, did you watch the movie Rudy right afterwards? Just like, <laughs> Yeah, after- no, I, uh, yeah, my, so my grandpa is like the biggest Notre Dame fan. So I remember growing up watching, um, like Brady Quinn and Jeff Samarja on like Saturday afternoons with him on NBC. And that was like my childhood growing up. I think I have like a Brady Quinn Jersey somewhere in my room. So, yeah. So I had seen Rudy a million times had, you know, had never, no one in my family think had ever been out here. Like I said, they kind of pushed me to come out here, the Irish uh, family, because I you know, wanted to see you know, someone in our family kind of went to Notre Dame. Like it was an awesome visit. That's the other thing, but yeah, no, it was, uh, Definitely, yeah. Seeing Rudy now is kind of funny because it's kind of you'll be like, oh, like I know that building and stuff, and then you're like, oh, there's been ten more buildings in that spot where that used to be. So, yeah, it's it's really cool. Do you see any similarities from that movie, uh, like back when it was like originally supposed to be in like the 1970s? Anything you see like that's similar in 20 uh, 2020 in early late 2010s that's like still kind of goes on at Notre Dame? Uh, I'm trying to think of like obviously the lake is like a big part of that movie um this year i've like in the fall i went to the lake a bunch just because it was like warm and stuff and yeah so that was something i saw a lot of um trying to think of other things that really stuck out um i know like obviously the rudy jacket is like pretty big um i know when like the they still sell it in the bookstore and stuff i think my grandpa at one point was like i'm gonna get you a rudy jacket before I came here and my mom had to tell him like you know like don't do that but <laughs> it was a thought that counts I guess <laughs> for sure for sure I mean who wouldn't want that jacket unless you're unless you're actually going to Notre Dame it's it's, a, it's an yeah. awesome jacket. You, can't, you can't deny it's one of the coolest jackets ever it's, oh yeah it's sweet <laughs> and do all do do the football guys wear it is it like as, as like a you know something like yeah or do yeah they, so we get like a yeah we get like a letterman's jacket um part of like the monogram club here um that like I'm not really sure kind of what the requirements are or whatnot but um every year uh, there's like a group of guys that get it um on like I think or a group of guys and girls on every team that get it and uh yeah I was fortunate enough to get one last year it was pretty it was really cool my mom like finally showed it to my grandpa my grandpa like thought it was awesome he loved it I mean it's a really cool jacket yeah I don't I actually don't wear mine but some people do for sure <laughs> you should give it to him as a gift he must leave what he would he would probably die yeah. for it. no he's definitely he's definitely probably yeah i'd say he's probably gonna get it at some point it's just a matter of time at this point <laughs> that's good that that's good to hear and yeah you know, talking about that pg pg year you did was it did you expect what like what did you expect like going into it and like what was the outcome that really uh 
that really happened for you? And like, how'd you feel after, after doing that PG year? Yeah, I think my expectations of it. So like I said, uh, I hurt my back actually the spring of my senior year. So I actually missed the first two games of my senior year. Workout. So I went to Deerfield and I was pretty much like I played football my whole life. I figured I wasn't going to play again. And I remember at, at Deerfield, you pretty much like play a sport every or do something every like it's trimesters every like kind of semester there. Um, and I like didn't want to play football because I one didn't really have the clearance from my doctor and two I didn't want to like risk getting hurt again. So I went in there and I was like, okay, like the first time in my life, I'm really just going to focus on lacrosse. And for me, that was super weird um and not really something I was used to at all but I went there and it was totally I remember just the first I'd say probably the first month or so I was like where am I like I was not I felt like you know coming from public school my whole life you know having you know living with my parents obviously my whole life like there were so many things that I had taken for granted that I was not used to when I was living on my own you know um and I think in terms of school-wise, Deerfield was really hard. I didn't expect that originally. Like, I thought that I was just going to be, you know, taking easy classes. It was a PG year. Like, I was already going. Like, I'm fine. And that's not what it was at all. So, I think for, like, the first month, like, I didn't really, you know, wasn't super, you know, social. I didn't have the friends from, you know, being on football team or something like that. So, kind of only really knew some lacrosse guys I had met, you know, in class. I didn't really, you know, speak up much because, you know, like I said, school's kind of hard. So, I was like, you know, I don't want to be the guy that gets something wrong. So like for the first month, it was pretty tough. It was, you know, definitely a real adjustment for me, you know, going from being, you know, in public school where I really like had a good time, had like friends that I thought were awesome. to you know, kind of being the new kid for the first time in my life and really having to, you know, go out of my way to meet people, you know, go out of my way to meet the teachers and work in school. Um, It was different. It was definitely different. Um, But I'm so grateful that I did it. Um, I think after kind of that beginning month or so where it was you know difficult you know obviously seeing my a lot of my friends you know their snapchats their instagrams and they're like enjoying college and i'm like i remember there we had study hall i think it was from like 7 45 to 9 45 and like thursday night it'd be like 7 45 9 45 and and then i look at my snapchat at like 10 o'clock because i'm in bed at that point and like all my friends are like doing whatever they do in college and i'm like oh this is incredibly frustrating but you know i think once i kind of you know got you know over the beginning you know hump of prep school and kind of really branched out and met people I thought it was unbelievable I was able to do well in school I was able to you know really meet a lot of people that were awesome I mean living in a dorm with people for a whole year you get really close with them so some of my best friends are from Deerfield um, and I lacrosse wise it was great we did lacrosse kind of I would say like a pretty good amount of the year whether it was kind of our strength and conditioning program or just, you know, doing box on Sundays. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, I think my beginning adjustment to Notre Dame freshman fall was um, much smoother because I went to Deerfield. I had acquired much better study habits. I knew, you know, how to manage my time. I, I knew what it was like to play one sport for kind of the first time in my life again and kind of devote all my energy to that. So no, it was, it was great. And I'm incredibly thankful that I did that and definitely have no regrets about it. For sure. And going to that, like after finishing your summer at Deerfield, you had a pretty, pretty packed summer, uh, I'm assuming with, you know, you had, you got selected for the Under Armour All-American game, then you got to go to uh, Israel to go play, uh, go play Mm -hmm. lacrosse for Puerto Rico. What, 
what was that like summer go like just of strictly lacrosse how was that for you you know did you enjoy did you enjoy like just only play like having a pretty strict lacrosse regiment that summer and then having to go to Notre Dame right after how, how mm-hmm. did you feel about all that going on yeah no it was definitely super unique summer um I think I, I yeah I think the Under Armour game was right before um the going to Israel and uh the Under Armour game was obviously an unbelievable experience I mean they said kind of throughout the process, like you're never going to treat it like this again to so take advantage of it. So I think a lot of people took that to heart. Like you're, you're really like, they treat you really well in that game. And it, it was really cool. It was awesome to get, like meet some other people, you know, branch out. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Get on and, ECD. You know, what is that? Get on ECD, get on the ECD highlight plays afterwards. Yeah, they, thankfully that's the highlight they show and not like the four or five times I think I got scored on that game. So yeah, I'm thankful for that. But yeah, I mean, I was able to be there with, you know, Brett, who was my best childhood friend growing up. So that was awesome to, you know, be playing with him again, hanging out with him all the time that whole weekend. That was really cool. But yeah, pretty, uh, hopefully, hopefully they don't, yeah, they don't show the me getting scored on, like, I think almost like every other possession for like the first half of that game. I was so tired and I remember I was, my blisters were killing me and I'm just making a million excuses right now, but I had a real tough game. <laughs> and then the one highlight that, uh, that I guess people remember, which is, I guess, nice, but yeah, that's probably the last time I've done that check, but uh, yeah, so that was great for that. Like that game was an awesome experience. And then Israel was something that like, I mean, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that that like lacrosse would bring me to Israel playing for team Puerto Rico, but you know, it's kind of the way the you know way, way things happened. And it was awesome. I mean, that was the first time I'd left the country. So to go to kind of a place like Israel where it's, you know, very different um, was co- really cool. And it was awesome. My parents, uh, I think my, we were out there for two weeks or so. So my dad came out for one week, my mom came out for the other week. So it was really cool to, you know, kind of experience that with them too. But yeah, I mean, Europe is hot in the summer. I didn't really realize that. So we were pretty fortunate to get a lot of, you know, seven o'clock games where it wasn't as hot, but during the day it was like, Oh, the games were so long too. It was like four 20 minute quarters. So like for me, I was like, this is so much lacrosse. <laughs> I didn't realize like I was spent by the end of like that, those, you know, 14 days or whatever that we were in Israel. It was a lot, but it was a lot of fun. I definitely, you know, I met, again, meeting a lot of people. Um, yeah, my assistant coach, I'm actually going to be playing in a couple of weeks. Uh, head coach of Bellarmine, which will be really cool. So. I mean, you got to realize Israel is the desert. It is, it is a hundred. Yeah. It is. I mean, I, I you well, know better than me. Obviously, it is it is no joke of how hot that that place that place gets, especially Natanya. I know. I think they were saying like it got up to the hundred twenties, hundred thirties. That that does not sound fun, especially eighty minute eighty minute lacrosse games. Yeah, not yeah. The U.S. They had a couple games where they because uh, they had like the prime time slots. They had a couple games where it was like you know, in the heat of you know the Israel sun. Thankfully, you know we got lucky where we were kind of you know not as big of a name so we got the, the later games which actually were to our benefit where it was definitely not as hot <laughs> yeah for sure and like what do you think like what do you what do you think you learned the most from that entire experience in Natanya playing for team Puerto Rico and getting to play other people in the sport of lacrosse from all over the world I think for me it was just a total it was like I mean obviously eye-opening in terms of kind of how big the game of lacrosse has grown you know it's not really you know, there we played, I mean, Japan was unbelievable. Germany was very good. Like we played some very good lacrosse teams that like never in my wildest dreams would I think that, you know, they'd be really good at lacrosse. But I think it also was great because it really, like I played with a lot of different people of a lot of different ages. I think I was 
I think I was I, one of the younger guys in the team and, you know, one of our older guys was 40 and had a couple of kids. So like, and every, and all of us, like as a team, like when we'd hang out, it was awesome. Like you never really felt like there was this like kind of difference in age. So I thought, yeah, I mean, obviously you would hang out with the younger guys a little more. Um, but yeah, when we were together as a team, it always felt like it was a team and there was not 20 years separating us. So I think it was definitely, you know, really just broadening like the, my horizons in terms of the world across was really awesome with that whole experience. hundred percent. And so moving forward into your fall, going to Notre Dame, you know, you just got all, you just finished a crazy stretch of lacrosse of just playing in Israel. You had to go through the grueling, you know, uh, time of doing the PG year that you didn't really want to do, but you stuck out and you ended up enjoying. And you said you had the weird recruiting process. Now you finally made it. Now you're at South Bend what are some, what's your mindset going into your freshman fall ball season? What are you trying to accomplish? Like what, what are some things that you have set, uh, set for yourself personally? Yeah. I remember just like, I try to do as much as I could, you know, in terms of, you know, getting myself in physical shape before I even came to school. So once I came to school, I felt like I was in a good spot, like conditioning wise and just kind of, you know, once I was out there, just really, learn what was being taught to me I think that that was the biggest thing for me was you know the Notre Dame defense wasn't exactly the easiest thing to pick up and there was a lot of things that I needed to learn and I think that I accepted that you know, pretty much before I got here and I think that that helped me kind of learn it quicker where I wasn't you know being stubborn about things or you know thinking I knew better like I was very much I felt like starting at you know stage zero ready to learn kind of ready to absorb things and I think yeah just trying to you know get as much exposure in terms of, you know, asking questions where I needed to, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't, if things didn't make sense to me, you know, going over and film with, you know, a senior or like a coach or something. So, yeah, I just try to, you know, really tackle every opportunity it was to, you know, learn the nuances of, you know, what our team was about and kind of what you know, division one college girls was about. Mm -hmm. What do you think was your like, oh my God moment that like you realized you were finally playing division one lacrosse? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, I think the biggest thing for me was like one of the, I think it was one of the first practices, um, like guys were just getting in people's faces. And then I remember like the first scrimmage, um, one of our defensemen, he like legitimately bent his shaft in like, four directions over um, one of the freshman attackmen's arms. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, I was, I was That's like, okay, scary. We're, I was like, we're in the big leagues now. All right, here we go. But uh, no, I mean, I think it was, I mean, I think the biggest thing from college, like even from, you know, your town to Deerfield, to, you know, Notre Dame was, you know, the level of talent that you're surrounded by. Like there are guys that, you know, maybe don't play the most, but they're incredible lacrosse players and they would, play at most places in the country so you know there's never a second where you can you know take a rep off or you can you know think oh like you know it's not time to you know give 110 percent like every single rep that like you're out here you're giving it everything you have and yeah it's crazy I remember even like our first we call it the warm-up here which is like it's kind of a series of defensive things that we always do and it's I think it's my freshman year it was the first home football game and it was 10 minutes long and I looked at my friend and I was like I can't breathe I was like this, this is going to be a long four years this is crazy this is the first 10 minutes of practice and like it's a warm-up and I'm like this tired I was like I thought I put myself into a good spot to be in pretty good shape but maybe not 
I mean, like what's going through your mind, especially as a freshman and you're already just like, uh, you know, destroyed from a 10 minute first 10 minute warm up. Like what, how do you, how do you continue? Like, how do you continue? What's going through your mind going through a coach Corrigan practice like that, where, you know, you're, you're the spotlight. And if you mess up, you know, you're going to get yelled at by all the upperclassmen. You're getting yelled at by your coaches. Like, what do you, what do you have going through your head through all that craziness? I think that all, like the biggest thing is like, you know, if they're you know yelling it's because they want kind of everyone to hear and they want you know they care and they want you to learn it and I think that that's also pretty important like you know if they're yelling at if they weren't yelling at you and you messed something up maybe they, they don't care but that's something that you know across the board that's happened here you know when guys make mistakes if we're gonna you know get better as a team everyone's got to learn from them so you know guys on the other side of the field may have to hear it so you know they're yelling maybe because you know it's you know maybe they're angry or upset with what happened but at the same time it's like they want everyone else to hear it so we're not continuing to make the same mistakes so yeah I think that you know never once have I felt like you know I'm being attacked by guys in the field or you know something like that but I do think that there are definitely guys you know whether it's coaches or other players that have done like a tremendous job of kind of you know letting us know when where we mess up how we messed up and what we need to do you know what we have to do to be better for sure and being a freshman in college and being a visual athlete, I'm just, I've been very intrigued by this. So I keep on asking my guests about uh, like your diet and like being a division one lacrosse player. And like, how have you, how did you like uh, get into, or if you even have one, did you have a routine for eating, like having a nutritious meal, uh, like meals throughout the week? And what would you try and do to, you know, keep your body in the best shape possible? Yeah, I think that I'm, like in terms of meals I'm such a creature of habit especially for breakfast and lunch like I think every day for you know almost three years now I've done you know peanut butter and granola and uh yogurt as like a breakfast and I've always just kind of gone to that because I've always liked it so I've never really changed it um lunch wise kind of similar like cold cuts on a sandwich um so yeah so I think those things kind of it's been pretty consistent for my three years here I know in the beginning it was or at least this year's a little different because I'm off campus, but so I have to kind of, you know, I have to go get my own groceries and stuff for the first time in my life, which isn't exactly the most fun thing in the world. But uh, when I was in the dining hall, I was on campus. Yeah, I just kind of not nothing like too crazy. Like I wasn't like counting calories or anything like that, but I kind of found something I liked, felt like it was pretty healthy and ran with it. <laughs> okay. And you, you don't want to be too strict on it. Are there any, uh, any of your teammates that are actually like that, that are very, you know, calorie conscientious and, you know, try to, you know, be the, be a superhuman. Uh, yeah. Know. No, I think that uh, no one on our team is like too big about it. Um, probably if you'd ask a lot of my friends, they'd probably say that I eat the most out of a lot of us just because I think because I'm a creature of habit that like maybe my lunch and breakfast aren't like, super, you know, fill the filling or filling, you know, I tend to you know, eat a lot of dinner. And then that's usually like if we go out for dinner or something like that, like, I'll end up like eating the most and guys will always be like making fun of me. But yeah, I feel like that's probably where that come from, comes from. But yeah, I don't think anyone on our team's a big, like, you know, follow a certain routine. I think for the most part, guys just, you know, try to eat the best that they can, you know, not, you know, <laughs> you have to play at a pretty high level. You can't be, you know, eating McDonald's for every meal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And what about uh, working out? Would you, uh, were you big, uh, do you have protein shakes after you work out and, you know, do you try to, what, what do you try to do after a workout? Do you have like a post-workout like diet or routine that you try to do or try and follow? Yeah. So we're really lucky to have like a fuel station here with like dietitians and stuff. So we're able to get kind of access to a lot of different, you know, protein stuff. Um, so after lifts, 
I, I'm a big fan of just two chocolate muscle milks. We have these things called like power bites. I'm not really sure what's in them. I think it's like peanut butter and granola, but they taste unbelievable. Um, have one of those. And then uh, like this year and last year, I started having, it's like called collagen. I don't really know what it does, but yeah. But then there's also this thing called a uh, tart cherry juice that a bunch of guys in our team love. So going, going into your freshman season at Notre Dame, what like after going through like a very uh, rigorous fall ball and you know, having your strict workout routine that you were talking about, what was your like big goal that you had set for the season? Wow, good question. Um, yeah, I think that for freshman year, I just kind of wanted to, you know, if like I wanted to be out on the field as much as possible, which meant that I kind of had to do everything I could when I wasn't on the field in terms of, you know, putting my like learning and like I said kind of earlier just like learning the defense stuff like that um so I think yeah kind of getting on the field and making the most of my time on the field was something that I set as like a personal goal for myself freshman year I mean it, like it wasn't you know, you know our team is very very good so I think that like having that mindset you know made it easier to come to practice every single day where like you know every day you're just trying to get better like for you know kind of an ultimate goal sort of thing but yeah I don't think it was anything you know to set in stone by any means. And when you were told that you were going to get the starting spot at LSM and close defense, what, who were some like upperclassmen that were, you know, helping you through that process of you know, being, being a starter at the division one level? Yeah. I mean, I like having, you know, I was kind of rotating in with Eric Restick, who was uh, two years older than me. And he was awesome. I mean, he was, he was a phenomenal athlete. So kind of, having working with him and kind of being able to like, pick his brain on stuff was awesome because he really kind of knew what was going on he was a really talented lacrosse player so it was great to have him and then obviously kind of guys um like Hugh Krantz, Jack Kilty, Arden Cohen, um Charlie Transfer guys that you know played down low that you know I think Arden and Jack were certainly guys that you know I felt like I could always you know I always knew that, you know, maybe if I messed something up, they wouldn't, you know, get on me right away, but they would tell me on the side where you would kind of get in my face, let me know, which I think that I needed, um, which it was kind of almost like a good cop, bad cop thing. And, you know, I think there were at times, certainly because, you know, me and Hugh roomed together a lot on trips that I got frustrated with him because I thought he was, like I said earlier, you know, like I, I didn't realize originally that like him yelling didn't mean like, you know, what like didn't mean that he didn't like or something it meant that he you know wanted it on a certain way and you know he's a four-year starter at defense like he he knows what's going on I'm a newbie so you know I think that you know once I kind of learned that and really listened to him I think that that really helped but yeah I mean between Eric and Jack Charlie and um, Arden and Hugh they were awesome I mean they really helped me a lot um, I think they knew that you know playing as a freshman at LSM or on defense in general is just not really that like something hard so you know, even when I made mistakes, they were there to kind of support me throughout it all. And who would you say was a upperclassman or anyone on your team that is kind of an unsung hero on your teammate that doesn't get like a lot of credit and is just a great teammate and you know, does a lot for the team and always like wants the best success for the team? Who do you think it would be at Notre Dame? Uh, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of guys. There's probably been, you know, multiple guys every year. Um, I know like Brendan Gleason, I think was unbelievable leader for us he really kind of set the tone and never really like when he spoke everyone listened uh, and a lot of guys in that class when I was a freshman I think when they spoke like a lot of guys listened they were awesome um, I think someone that you know maybe you know didn't get 
recognition in terms of like, you know, film as a statue, but was probably like the hardest worker I've ever been around was uh, Auden Mankey. He was like, for me, I, I felt like I needed to kind of follow what he was doing because he was someone that, you know, there were days that we had off days and he was running like for like 30 minutes on the treadmill with our strength coach. So I remember, you know, me and him started running together my freshman year and he was awesome. Like he was, he was a guy that really set the tone for you know our team. He never complained. He never, you know, never did anything. He didn't play like the most by any means, but he was always showing up to practice, ready to go, smile on his face, like always awesome to turn to. So yeah, I think, like I said, like a lot of great guys. Um, I think a lot of guys that push you to be great too. And I think that's something that I, why I chose Notre Dame, but I like Autumn he definitely sticks out as someone that, you know, like an unsung hero for sure. Who, who do you think was the hardest offensive player that you went against? Like from even now, like from your, from now to your freshman year, your Notre Dame, who has been the hardest person that you just like, no matter what, like you can't guard him or like, he's just always finding some crazy stuff to do. And he's always scoring. Uh, I mean, we have some really, really good guys. Um, I mean, like I said, Brendan Gleason was really tough to guard. Um, I mean, Brian Costa be obviously first team all American, like he was unbelievable. And even, you know, guys that probably don't get again, the recognition that I think they deserve, um, that are really, really good. And, you know, Wheaton Jack Woods, you know, Quinn McCann, like Mo Meyer, guys like that, that are really, really good. And, you know, definitely really tough covers, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, that's kind of where I go back to like, like Notre Dame and kind of like the biggest thing about college girls. There are so many guys where it's like, you, you, you kind of, you're on defense and you're like, okay, like I got to bring my A game right now because I know the, the guy on the other side of this matchup is a legit player and he can take it to the rack at any moment. So, yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I said it, like those guys stick out for sure, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't, you know, almost everyone that, that I've played with here. <laughs> what about, um you know, as a freshman, as a young freshman and you're you're like going up to you see the ball get passed around and the ball gets goes to your man and you see yourself going against a four-year veteran and Ryan Ryder Garnsey who was who was there when you were a freshman what's going through your head then especially with with a guy like Ryder who you know like there's a 99% chance that he's going to get to the cage and he's gonna he's gonna let you know if he gets it to the cage yeah no I mean it's awesome having Ryder I mean now he's our coach so it's kind of we, I've had him like as a teammate and then as a coach, which has been awesome, but you know, he's unbelievable. I mean, what he did freshman year in the playoffs, I mean, obviously kind of thinks what happened with him freshman year, but you know, for him to come to practice every day, freshman year, like as a senior, you know, come to practice every day, knowing he wasn't going to be playing games, but just with the mindset of getting our team better. Like, again, like that's just something that like, yeah, he made a mistake and he owns that mistake, but, you know, he's going to you know, use that mistake to kind of define how he goes forward. And I think that that was awesome to see just kind of him bring that intensity every day to practice. And yeah, he definitely, you know, he definitely let, let you know if you made a mistake or if he had you on something, which was great because it kind of like pushed you to, you know, I didn't want to really be hearing, you know, Ryder in my year after he scored, but yeah, no, Ryder was, he was unbelievable. Um, he was, I mean, what he did in those two playoff games were ridiculous. That dude game was, I mean, he was, ridiculous. he put on Absolute, show. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. I, I yeah. still go back and watch the highlight. It's, <laughs> it's nuts. If you just come off 14 games of not playing and then you just drop eight points against uh, a Notre, uh, a Johns Hopkins and Duke, uh, Duke defense yeah. is something that you, you just a freak of freak of nature, next generational talent, generational oh, talent okay. in the lacrosse world. And that's why he's going to play pro, even though he only yeah. played two college lacrosse games, he gets signed, he gets signed to go play pro <laughs> lacrosse. And now he's one of the best 
best uh, best attackman in the league. But moving forward from that, and I was gonna, I'm gonna, I wanted to skip through 2020 season, kind of go to like when COVID really hit and the COVID season got shut down. And you know, you're at, you're in your house in Yorktown, and it's April, and it's like the first time in 18 years that you're not playing lacrosse in in the months of March through June. What's what's going through your head then, and like? How are you still trying to keep a good mindset, and how are you still trying to keep in shape, uh, you know, through all this darkness, darkness that was going on? Yeah, no, I just yeah, that was obviously, you know, you kind of. I feel like everyone kind of really joked about like, oh, like this is going to be a thing. Like we never, you know, like never did we think that that would happen, but you know, it did, and you kind of got to roll with the punches. And I think, you know, coming home and you know, not really knowing when I was going to be playing lacrosse again was like, no that was weird I remember I think I like like I did freshman year I kind of took the week after we lost you know just kind of recuperate and I this year you know we didn't have as long or last year we didn't have as long of a season but I still took the week and I remember just like being home like being like well when am I gonna play I'm like what am I really training for and then then it kind of like a light bulb and like a light kind of switch kind of flipped I guess where it was like all right like haven't really been able to control a lot let's like do what I can now and then like kind of make it easier on myself in the future. So obviously, you know, no, no gyms were open, you know, this, the other thing. So uh, like we have a treadmill in our house, thankfully we have like a Peloton, we have like some weights, um, like a bench and stuff. And my parents have been awesome about really giving, you know, pretty much like providing me, my brother, and my sister with, you know, all the tools we need to, you know, be successful. So I was really, you know, a lot of a lot of treadmill runs, a lot of workouts in the basement, you know, a lot of neighborhood runs, a lot of like Peloton bike rides, like just kind of doing stuff that, you know, maybe I wouldn't normally do. Obviously, during that time, you know, I was able to put my stick down for a little bit and kind of just focus on like myself as like an athlete as a whole. And, you know, it was good. I think that it really got my mind off of kind of, you know, lacrosse is obviously like tiring and whatnot. And there's a lot of like the mental thing. And I think it kind of got me to just, you know, you know, working out for like the fun and kind of you know, thinking that, you know, eventually there's a reason why I'm working out now. So no, it was definitely not, not a great time, but I think, uh, you know, tried to make the most of it for sure. You just triggered a lot of PTSD from Peloton rides back in April. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't want to think about those, doing those Tabata rides. They're hard, man. They're, they're hard. so hard. They're so yeah. hard. I don't want to, oh I, my God. Oh my I'm a God. big supporter of them. I always tell everyone they're they're really hard. They're they get a good sweat going. I'm a I'm a big supporter of the Peloton. <laughs> and you think it's going to be easy when you first start your couple of weeks? You're like, oh, it's going to be like oh. a nice easy class. And then no, it's just like a it's like an it's you, you die. I can't do them anymore, man. They just they yeah. broke they broke they've broken me a couple of times. I don't I'm not going to deny it. They those those Tabata rides, like I said, those kill me. They are when you see the leader the leaderboard when you see like you know some guy who's like 60 out in california with like ridiculous amount of output like doubling you up and you're like paul carcatera yeah paul carcatera you ever see yeah his- i've heard i've heard car crushes it that's yeah tough yeah i don't i don't think i sniff his numbers which is tough <laughs> yorktown I guy feel, there. <laughs> i feel good if i'm like five thousand out of fifteen thousand, but he's like <laughs> yeah. he's 162 out of twenty thousand. i was like what are you what are you Ridiculous. going yeah he goes on he must go on the uh the easy beginner rides throw the uh, resistance <laughs> all the way up and try and get his heart rate yeah. as, as possible i don't i don't want to talk oh my god i can't i can't stop because <laughs> that's all i would do because i only had i only had dumb like i only had dumbbells and you know resistance bands and a peloton yeah. And all I really could have done was just do a Peloton ride every single day. And it was just, yeah. 
it was just a miserable time, honestly, mm-hmm. like, looking back at like, you couldn't have done anything yeah. about it, but it was, it was practically mm-hmm. hitting the wall, doing sprints in your backyard and then doing Peloton every single day. And it was, uh, it was a mm-hmm. cycle for maybe 90 days of doing the exact same yeah. thing. It takes a, it no, takes, for sure. takes a huge toll on you, but mm-hmm. like, what about like I know you have your older brother like you had your younger brother like my bro- my brothers are older and they don't really they're not really mm-hmm. athletes anymore you have a you have a younger brother who's playing sports and what was that like having another competitor in your household that you can just work with you know throw this throw the uh, you know throw the ball with whenever you wanted to do one on one matchups work on footwork you know was that like a blessing in disguise that you got to work with uh, with Keith on that stuff Yeah no I think I mean our older sister, she ran track her freshman year at Fordham and she was an unbelievable athlete. So she obviously has been working out kind of her whole life too. So, you know, between the three of us kind of fighting for, you know, treadmill time or bike time, like it was always like really funny, like hours of the day, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, like my sister didn't play, doesn't play lacrosse or anything like that, but um, like having Keith around, you know, just to like throw around in the backyard with someone, throw the football around, like, like things that like I haven't done in a while. Like, I mean, in the summer when I'd be home, like Keith would be, you know, he'd have a million tournaments. The last thing he wanted to do was pick up his stick another time during the week. And quite honestly, like I wasn't really, I didn't really want to pick up my stick either at points. So like, we never really like played lacrosse together. Never really did a lot. Like we'd work out together a little bit and here and there, but you know, yeah, it was nice to be home and, you know, play football together, you know, play lacrosse together. Like I said earlier, play basketball, even yeah, working out and stuff, but yeah, no, it was good. It was nice to have someone like to push you. And I, I hope that he feels the same way. It was nice to have me there to push him. But, you know, it was, uh, I was super fortunate in that sense. And heading back to Notre Dame this fall and, you know, your upcoming season as well, what are you looking forward to most in this 2021 season? I think I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to like kind of play lacrosse again. Um, it's been you know, a while, even just, you know, our Air Force scrimmage, it felt so weird playing you know, lacrosse again against another team. Um, so that was really cool. Um, just looking forward to that. Um, you know, I don't really know. I don't know if we've ruled kind of, or made a ruling as a school kind of, you know, if fans are going to be allowed or whatnot, but you know, yeah, like I said, just getting the opportunity to play lacrosse. Like I think for a while, that wasn't really something that we ever really thought would kind of happen. And fortunately we're in a spot where we're able to play. So kind of just making the most out of every opportunity that we, that, uh, you know, we get out there. And my final question for you today, uh, Jose, is the low to high question. So what have been some of your lows in, you know, in the sport of lacrosse that you've experienced? Um, I think low is uh, pretty, it's an easy one. I think uh, my freshman year I actually got cut from uh, our varsity team, which like for me, that was like, for like the first time in my life, I like kind of like had a goal of like making varsity as a freshman and I didn't make it. And I remember I was crushed. Uh, I was super bummed. I thought I like ran a bunch, lifted a bunch, thought I really did everything I could to make the team and then didn't. So, you know, for the first time in my life, I felt like I really like didn't accomplish something that I put my mind to. So that was tough. But yeah, I got pulled up midway through the season. And then, you know, we ended up winning a state title and, you know, having the opportunity to even, you know, get on the field during that game was awesome. So yeah, I think it ended up working out, but it was definitely a low point. I always, you know, Coach Carney, I, I joke with him about it. I'm like, yeah, why'd you have to do that to me? I was like, that, that, that wasn't cool. <laughs> tough. That's tough. That's tough. And yeah. right off, right off of that, what have been uh, some of your highs, highs while playing in the sport of lacrosse? Uh, highs. I mean, 
I think my three years here has just been an overall uh, in general, whether it's been, you know, playing with the guys in our team who, like I said, I mean, they're just incredible people. They're awesome guys to be around um, or just kind of the people I've met uh, at Notre Dame and quite honestly wouldn't have gotten the opportunity had it not have been for you know, lacrosse. So I think that I'm really thankful for kind of, you know, the opportunity to, like I said, the, the doors that have been opened because of lacrosse, you know, whether that was, you know, playing for your team Puerto Rico, whether that was, you know, going to Deerfield as a PGA or even coming here, like the whole, everything about lacrosse has given, it's given me a lot. So I'm really thankful for that, especially my time here. Jose, thank you so much for coming on a little high podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to you strapping up with uh, Notre Dame this uh, 2021 season. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. Take care, man. Hey, have a good one.